what we see, and it fills the news this time of year. You see it on TV, you know, handing out to turkeys and all of that. And it raises the awareness. And yeah, it's related to holidays and that kind of thing. But it's not to say that everybody else is doing fine the rest of the year. And that's the message that people need to think more about because it's often forgotten. You're listening to Happy Vermont, a podcast about people and places in the Green Mountain State. I'm Erica Housekeeper. The Virgen's food shelf is located in a small building behind the Virgen's Congregational Church. It could pass for a tiny general store. The food shelf is open twice a week, and it's stocked with things like eggs, milk, meat, fresh fruit, and pet food. Right before Thanksgiving, I spent some time at the Virgen's Food Shelf, which is one of more than 220 food pantries in the state that partner with the Vermont Food Bank. I accompanied longtime volunteer John Lent to Monument Farms in nearby Weybridge. That's where he picks up donated cases of milk every Wednesday. When we returned to Virgen's, he delivered milk to the John Graham Shelter on Main Street before returning to the food pantry. John lives in Waltham, and he started volunteering many years ago at the Virgen's food shelf with his late wife, Marianne. She was the driving force behind the couple's volunteering efforts in the community. And after Marianne died in 2020, John decided to keep volunteering in her honor. In this episode, John, who's also a remarkable athlete, talks about his drive to help people in the community. Also, the importance of getting out of your comfort zone and why volunteering isn't just for the holiday season. Here's John. Today, I'm known as the milkman. I used to have certainly all the roles related to running what amounts to a small general store. But I guess shortly after I moved to Vermont, probably about 19 years ago, is when we got involved all together with the Virgin's Food Shelf. When my wife Marianne and I first moved here, we knocked on the door of the church, knowing that they had a community food shelf, to get involved. And the pastor at the time said, terrific, this guy Bud, was. Uh, we could use your help because he's been doing it in the basement of the church, just himself, and he's retiring, moving to Florida. So we met him, and he turned over the keys, literally a few Post-it notes, because we used to go to Al's egg farm and pick up eggs and the milk and so on, and he said, uh, good luck. So that was the humble beginnings. And then we had another couple, an elderly couple. I say that because then they were in the 70s, and they helped out here well into their 80s. So it was basically the four of us. And then eventually we moved from the basement of the church next door to the church. It was a carriage house, so we moved inside there with the help of everybody moving shelves and the whole like painted it and I did electrical work. So now today it's like a small general store and we provide everything from fresh fruit, milk, eggs, vegetables, meats, canned goods. One of the things we've added in the last few years we don't get from any food bank, but we added things that we purchase, staples like toothpaste, personal items. We actually have people that donate dog food and cat food. And if you think about it, if people are coming to a food shelf in need of food, it's very likely they can't afford to buy food for their pets. And the fact that the name, everybody calls it Virgin's Food Shelf, but it's actually the Virgin's Community Food Shelf. And it's exactly that. One time we started tracking the demographics, and even though we're housed in Virgin's, we serve over 20 towns. 
that come here, including some that come all the way from Elizabethtown, New York. So in terms of who it serves, what we serve, in terms of numbers, as of late, we have 423 registered households serving 1,083 people, almost 1,100 people. And when I say that, we have to track family size. So we have a card system. So we know how many are in the family when someone comes here. And the tracking we do both for the state and federal commodities program, we have to track families with over 65 and children under 18. And every visit is like a digit. So they can visit multiple times per month. So annually, it amounts to somewhere between three and 4,000 individuals per year are served here in the little tiny town of Virgins. I was talking to the Vermont Food Bank, and I know Virgins is a partner. Is that the right word? Would you say yeah. you're, you partner with the food bank? Okay. So you're a partner with the Vermont Food Bank, which is located in Barrie and opened in 1986. And I talked to Carrie Stoller. She works in government and public affairs there at the food bank. And I was asking her how the food bank landscape has changed since the pandemic. And she said that they have more partners now than they did before the pandemic. And these are organizations that are supported by volunteers. But you've had the pandemic, you've had economic disruptions, you've had high inflation, and then this summer's catastrophic flooding. It's caused kind of this whole cascade of crises that have created a need that continues to be very high. So as a longtime volunteer at Virgin's Community Food Pantry, can you share any observations you have seen since the pandemic over the last couple of years? Well, we've seen the numbers grow, and I don't do all the data, but we've just seen that. And I think the first thing was, yeah, pre-pandemic, we started to see more seniors coming. And that was very unusual because they're very humble. They don't want assistance. They've made it to that part of their life, and suddenly they find themselves in need of just surviving. It took some outreach and education just to say, this isn't just families or whatever, it's open to everybody. So we started seeing more seniors come into the picture. And I think, you know, more recent in the past 12 months or so that we expanded to help the migrant and farm families. So between the rise of just the attendees, all age brackets, all age groups, some of the catastrophic things that you mentioned, the notoriety that Virgins is a happening place. Collectively, we continue to grow. Regarding volunteers, as I mentioned in its origin, you know, there were three, four, five, six people. Today, we have 35 volunteers working in all kinds of shifts. So although we're only open two days a week, there's daily activities that happen five, six days a week. The building itself, the food shelf building, the electric, the gas, the maintenance is all provided by the Congregational Church of Virgins. So we're not paying rent, we're not paying utilities, they take care of the building. So any money that we acquire, 100% goes towards food. How did you get into volunteering? So what got me into volunteering, talked a couple of times about my wife, Mary Ann, and she lived to help others. So as a married couple, that's what we did. She did way more than I've ever done. So after her death in 2020, I just continued to do my part 
as a, a tribute to her legacy. Before you met Marianne, did you volunteer like in your youth or in your early 20s? Was it on your radar or did it came later when you met Marianne? To the level that I'm doing now, prior to meeting Marianne, I'd say probably my, my only volunteering was around my hobby, whatever you want, a passion of running and running races and that kind of thing. So I volunteered because any race organization, they're always looking for volunteers constantly. We have how many hundreds of volunteers in the Burlington Marathon and the like. So aside from those types of obvious volunteerings around a race event, I kind of plugged into something that maybe too few people think about. So before I got into marathoning, I was running 5Ks and 10Ks. And I would finish my own race, and then I'd run back on the course to find the last place person. And then I'd run them in, because they're the <laughs> unsung heroes that uh, nobody notices them. So that was just always a fun thing to do. And I've done that here in Vermont to this day. When you would go to the person in the race, would you say anything, or you just join them and run with them? Well, two different ways to answer that. One is they see me coming in the wrong direction. <laughs> so it's like, and maybe maybe I had a finishing medal around my neck or something, and you know, I'd just chat. How you doing? How you making out? Let's. How you feeling? Let's bring this in. Let's do this. There's a ultra marathon that's in. It's called the Musa Lamu State Forest, whatever, in Goshen, Vermont. And so that's a mountain run. And they have the longest one is uh, the ultra marathon is 36 miles. And I had friends that I'd never done it, but I had friends and I volunteered there with trail marking and at the aid stations. I'd done things like that. So, again, it's a different kind of volunteering and see some friends off and down the dirt road they go. And I get back in my car and maybe half hour, 45 minutes after the race began, because part of it was on road, again, I would find the last place runner, and they probably have 10 hours ahead of them. And it's the same thing. So I would catch up to them, get out of the car, park the car, get and catch up with them, and same thing. How's it going? And I said, I'm your official cheering section. And so I'd go along with them and walk and run, and then I'd run up ahead and find the next to last person and the next to last person. And then I'd try to humor them, saying, like, well, just at the top of this mountain, they're serving ice cream. And, you know, they'd get a kick out of that, knowing that I was making that up. Talk to me about what volunteering brings to your life. I know volunteering is all about helping others, but I also want to hear about, like, what does it do for you? Well, I think the difference between volunteering your time is just that. It's all about the personal connection. Because another type, in a sense, not volunteering, but supporting causes, of course, is, you know, the monetary. It's easy to write a check. Both are needed. But in my view, volunteering is a lot more tangible where you're helping others. So both are important, but I think it's the personal connection and every other type of thing. So the most important thing is just... Not everybody is as fortunate as we are. And volunteering is a different dimension of giving back. When you see where it's going, uh, it warms the heart. And you spoke a moment ago, you know, talking about monetary donations and volunteering. And can you talk a little bit more about that, about maybe like what volunteering accomplishes that money can't? Volunteering is just a lot more tangible. Mm -hmm. 
We write checks for a variety of causes. It goes out there and you feel like you're doing good. Volunteering is just another dimension beyond that. You're not only feel like you're doing good, you're seeing that you're doing good. So that's kind of how I process it. And you're not just the milkman or the recycling man around the holidays. You do this year round. Yes. And that's a good point. That's a really good point because there was one situation where I was at a Thanksgiving and a kind of well-to-do couple that I was invited through mutual friends. And, you know, the way they thought about it, and they're, they're very wealthy. And it's for Thanksgiving, and it's just like, I sit down and I get everything out and I write my 10 or 15 checks and I'm done. And in their mind, it's like they fulfilled the year-round thing. <laughs> but what we see, and it fills the news this time of year, you see it on TV, you know, handing out the turkeys and all of that. And Burlington's got, oh my goodness, I don't know what kind of numbers, but they're always seeking thousands of turkeys and the like. And it raises the awareness. And yeah, it's related to holidays and that kind of thing. But it's not to say that everybody else is doing fine the rest of the year. And that's the message that people need to think more about because it's often forgotten. It's all needed, but get past Christmas, Thanksgiving, Easter, and people go back into their normal lives. And yet the recipients or the people in need or the organizations that support them are trying to drum up more support because the need is year-round. It's 365. So correct me if I'm wrong here, but you've completed marathons in all 50 states, in all Canadian provinces, and on all seven continents. And you've also hiked the highest point in each U.S. state. So when did, tell me about this marathon You mean what quest. do I do in my spare time? Well, is that yeah, <laughs> yeah. When did you run your first marathon? I ran my first marathon in 1986. I lived in Colorado in the 70s and 80s, and I was definitely a hiker, climber, and that was my main sport, and running kept me in shape. I don't even know what year it was. 1985 or 6, my company relocated me to the East Coast, so suddenly my backyard of having 14,000-foot mountains didn't exist, so I got more into running. And everybody does. You join a gym, you make friends, this and that. And the circle of friends I hung around with were either runners or bikers and both. And then it took one of those dare kind of things that a buddy of mine said, we should run a marathon. So we did. And 1986 was the first one I ran. And then on my own, because I've always loved travel and business travel, I would seize the opportunity I would always say, oh, I got a business trip over here. You know, let me see if there's a marathon on the calendar. So suddenly I didn't repeat anything. I had done four or five, six dates just because it was interesting to do a marathon in a new place. And along the lines, I ran into a bunch of crazies that were, uh, at the time, they were called the 50-State Marathon Club and D.C. with the object just to do that to run a marathon in all 50 states, and I thought they were out of their mind. But I continued to do my thing, and then lo and behold, I was accumulating states, so that became the goal. So time. So however many years it took me, 11 years, I finished all the 50 states the first time. I've since done the 50 states a second time. Along the way, I did all 13 Canadian provinces and territories twice. And then what do people do after they've done 50 states? Well, you go vacations to Europe and 
you find a marathon. So the first time I finished all 50 state marathons was the same year I got married, 1997. So the first time I finished marathon in all 50 states was in 1997, which was the same year that I was married. And I mentioned I had hiked my first high peak was in Colorado, which Mount Albert is the highest point of uh, Colorado. And somewhere those parallel interests, I was hiking stuff. So when I met my wife, Marianne, interesting, we met on a rail trail in New Jersey, which I was living at the time. And somehow we, we were in our early 40s and I was getting ready to climb Mount Rainier in Washington State. And she said, oh, I did that a couple years ago. She says, oh, I'm, she was going to do Mount Hood in Oregon. I said, oh, I've done that. So there was interesting, talking about big mountains. So after we got married, all of our vacations centered around hiking the highest point. And some of them aren't so exciting. Some of them are all-out expedition. So the next 20 years continued to complete the highest point of all 50 states. I was looking up personality traits of marathon runners, and this is very oversimplified, but I was thinking about kind of getting in the mind of the runner and thinking about marathon runners, elite runners. You're motivated. It's a real positive mindset. There's grit, determination. Do you think there's a connection there between that and your drive to help others in your volunteer work? Now we're connecting two things dear to my heart. (laughs) In terms of, you said, you know, characteristics, I totally agree with the positive mindset. That overlaps to both the things we're talking about. You got to have, it's also completely about setting goals. And in both cases, getting out of your comfort zone. So if marathoning was easy, everybody would do it. And the training aspect is easy to understand. It's like, I can't do that. I can't, you know, whatever. You have to be willing to get out of your comfort zone. And even we were talking about the different types of supporting groups, organizations in need, whether you're just donating money or your time, maybe even donating the time or being consistent throughout the year, I think is related to getting out of your comfort zone. It's going to be a mindset where it does become not necessarily a goal, but it's going to be part of your makeup. And the volunteering part, another way of thinking, I suppose, is, yes, it's a kind thing to do. I think it's intentional acts of kindness. The phrase we always hear is random acts of kindness. So intentional acts of kindness results in random acts of kindness to the recipient, because they don't even know where it's coming from half the time. So it's the intention, it's the mindset, it's the consistency, and that's how I think the two come together. That makes a lot of sense. If someone were thinking about volunteering, and they were kind of on the fence, like, oh, I don't know if I have enough time, or well, maybe I can just give money or do something else, like, what would you say to someone? <laughs> we do see that common thread. There's a lot of people with good intentions that don't act upon it or... So I think part of it, to repeat myself, is getting out of your everyday comfort zone. Another way to think about that, the way I think about it, is thinking about all the things you're grateful every day. You think about that. There's a lot to be thankful. And it's to realize that not everybody is as fortunate. So in terms of people sitting on the fence about volunteering, I say get off the fence. (laughs) 
Show your appreciation by giving back. And another thing that I kind of go by is I try to make somebody smile every day. So that's my advice. Thanks for listening to Happy Vermont. You can learn more about the Virgins Community Food Shelf by contacting the Virgins Congregational Church. And if you're looking to learn about food pantries around the state, you can visit the Vermont Food Bank's website at vtfoodbank.org. You can find more stories, event listings, and podcast episodes on my website, happyvermont.com. Thanks for listening. Take care and talk to you soon.